Hi, I'm Dr. Andrea Stover, licensed marriage and family therapist, and you're listening to the Modern Day Romantic Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. Today, we are picking up part two of our series on love at first sight. And I wanted to look at this phenomenon from a Jungian perspective today, particularly as it pertains to Jung's process of individuation. So what the heck am I talking about? What did I just say? Okay. In layman's terms, individuation is the journey to becoming yourself. It's the journey to reaching self-realization, to embodying selfhood, to having a solid sense of me. That's not from an ego perspective. This is from a self in relation to cosmos, world. So in other words, I'm not just living my individual life, doing my own thing here. I have found a way to stand and be in relationship with life. I feel like I know uh, where I belong. I feel like I'm embodying and living out, you know, who I am and open every day to becoming, you know, more and more whole or, uh, you know, seeing and being myself in deeper ways. Now, I know that the pop psychology world is full of uh, jargon around, you know, reaching your highest potential and and self-realization and self-actualization. From a Jungian perspective, This is a very daunting task. It's not for the faint of heart, and it takes your entire life to explore and journey along this path. And no one actually ever reaches self-actualization as this static point in time. And once I've reached it, I am that way forever and always. So this is less a destination and more a journey. So hopefully that explains a little bit about individuation. A few more things I want to say about Jungian psychology to lay the framework, and then we'll really apply this to love at first sight, is a lot of, in the beginning of individuation, we have to be able to have a developed ego, a sense of I or me. So Jung sees life as uh, the morning of life and the afternoon of life. And the morning of life is kind of the first half of our life where we're kind of out in the world, we're having these experiences, we're doing, you know, oh, this is who I am in this role, this is who I am, or who I think I am anyways, as, as a person, you know, maybe I'm, you know, this type of, I I have this type of profession, I am maybe, you know, married to this person, I have these children, I come from this family. So it's, it's really establishing ourselves as a social, uh, a, a member of society, we'll say it that way. And what he believes is that a growing discontent starts to kind of uh, stir and we become a bit unsettled as we start to reach that midpoint and enter the afternoon of our life. And this really takes people into a deeper, introspective, this is where we weave in kind of where am I at in relation to the cosmos? You know, what what am I doing here really? And uh, it's, it's when we start to grapple with these types of things that we have to confront the shadow, 
which is that which we don't identify as in our personality consciously, where we come into contact with something called the anima and the animus and start to explore this as, as an inner phenomenon or process. And then uh, ideally we can, can have this contact with capital S self, the transpersonal self. And this is again, where we weave in, I am a member of the, the collective, you know, I am a human being living this life right here, right now. And my name is this, and this is my individuality. And I, I am this and that. So we, we aren't kind of, um, in this state of, confusion around self. We, we really have a very solid sense of, of, of an I in relation to world. Okay. So the piece of all of that, that I want to focus on for love at first sight is the archetypes of anima and animus. Now, these terms are somewhat controversial in the Jungian circles today because they appear to be dated. We're in 2023 and not everyone agrees with uh, Jung's definition of them. So for Jung, these were, uh, the anima was the inner feminine that lived inside of a man. And the animus was the inner man that lived inside of a woman. If we wanted to put those in, uh, in other terms, Robert Johnson calls it an interior companion. Now, part of romantic relationships, part of why we're looking to partner from the psychological perspective is to find the inner companion outside of ourselves so that we can start to distinguish and differentiate, you know, who lives inside of us, and, but we have to come in relationship to it through an outside relationship, through the other, someone not like us. And so this was very based on the sexes. Well, if I'm a woman, I'm, I'm not a man. And if I'm a man, I'm not a woman. You can hear how this doesn't really hold up in uh, our society as it stands today. So again, where I'll go with it is if we talk about masculine and feminine energies, we all have masculine and feminine energies within us. We're oftentimes going to identify more on one side and less on the other side. And the goal is to find an inner marriage, this alchemical marriage where there's kind of the, a good symbol for this is the yin and the yang. So there's a, the equal and opposites and there they are and they're in perfect balance. And again, these are, these are ideals. These are constructs, ideas that we're strike. The psyche is striving for wholeness, for balance. And, and a lot of Jungian psychology is about the tension of the opposites. Okay. And, and then trying to creatively come up with a, a third solution. If it's not A and it's not B, then, then what is it? So all of that to say, if we play around with this idea of the inner companion, I think romantics have a very strong inner companion that resides within them. And I, can, I believe that they can feel the presence of that inner other. And there's so much desire 
to meet someone on the outside to be able to actually live out that experience with someone else. What romantics might not be aware of is that desire comes so that if, think about this, so I'm going to kind of really try to slowly unpack this. If I have an inner image of a partner, how am I ever going to grow that, develop it, and see what lies beyond that if it only lives inside of me? So I have to meet that. I have to meet someone on the outside that I can project this onto that's a good hook that, that for that material so that I can start to work it out and through and become clearer about now, who is this person exactly that's been living inside of me? And where relationships sometimes start to break down is when, no, my inner companion would never talk to me that way. No, no, no. My inner companion and I, we don't, we don't disagree that way. Or my inner companion and I always see it the same way. No. So you see how it starts to really uh, put us in conflict as we meet an actual other. So there's our real opportunity here to be in real relationship with someone while also still trying to figure out, ah, you know, what is this other part in me and my idea of relationship here? Ultimately, through time, the idea is we withdraw the projection that we've been putting on the other and we reclaim that as our own. That's ours to work on and through internally while also still cherishing accompanying, uh, being a part of this relationship with, with the other here, that this, this other person, this other human that you're in relationship with. Okay. So I just wanted to say that piece of Jungian psychology. Now for the fun stuff around love at first sight. I think it's really interesting if we play with this idea that there's this interior companion that's with us. And what if when you walk into the bar or, you know, look across the dance floor and your eyes meet the person that feels like it kind of lights up that interior companion. It's, it's like, you know, zing, there, there's, there's a match there. There's something, there's resonance here. Whether that be this person's going to be the person I can project this onto, whether that's this person is the living embodiment of this inner partner, interior figure inside of me that's going to lead to more growth, uh, greater satisfaction, wholeness, richness in my life. There's something really profound there. And I, I think that there is this unconsciousness, you know, we were meeting that, you know, it's like this, this almost perfect moment, love at first sight is from this perspective anyways, of the, the conscious part of ourselves and the unconscious coming together and meeting, you know, making itself known, let's say, through the uh, meeting or laying eyes on another person. And we don't always, there, there's really no way actually we could know all of this, you know, in, in that, in that second or that moment of meeting someone. But what we do know is that something bigger than me, something, something larger than my consciousness just happened. And I think that that's really something to be with because if you've had this experience, even if it doesn't work out, I guarantee there's something really important uh, 
that you can take away from this encounter about yourself, about what you learned, maybe uh, more, you know, who this interior companion is or what inner opposite you're trying to meet or uh, have have relationship with so that you as an individual can become more whole. So I think that's a really uh, important part of Love at First Sight. I think Jungian psychology has a lot. There's a lot more that I could say about it too from this perspective. But this individuation, this coming into greater wholeness, coming into more of your self, capital S, self. Okay. Part of meeting this interior companion or at least having conscious contact is that is a huge piece of this. In philosophy, there's something called solipsism, which is I am the only mind that exists. I am the only one I can ever really know. And I think that there's something here that is kind of a, a shadow, let's say, of the self-development, self-improvement communities, which is, oh, I'm just going to use everything that happens as, as a way of, you know, learning more about myself and informing, you know, me about me. I'm going to take everything as an opportunity to, to learn and to grow. And that, that's not shadow. That's, that's great. However, it's shadow if we believe that it really doesn't matter who the other person is, the other human, the other individual we're in relationship with. That instead, it's really just all about me and what I can keep. It, it can kind of keep us in self self absorption in that way. So that is not what I'm uh, putting forth here. That's not what I'm I'm trying to say. I actually think it's even more profound when the love at first sight is mutual, when it's reciprocated, and it. What that tells me is that something is resonating in both of the people's psychologies or psyches. And there might be a lot of, uh, there's a lot of charge to this, whatever this is, this, this uh, meeting place of these two souls, these, this encounter between them. But I believe that it's probably pretty rich with, hmm, you know, what is it that I'm going to be looking for? How do you represent my interior companion? How do you represent mine? What's the similarity between who I kind of have always felt on the inside that my partner might be versus who you are and what are the differences? How do we together grow through this? How do we together withdraw those projections? How do we together not get carried away by this really profound initial encounter that we've had with one another? And how do we allow meaning to continue to unfold and unfurl through time? These types of experiences, love at first sight, can be so deceptive because society sets us up for it to mean one thing and one thing only, which is if someone says, I'm going to marry that person right over there, then that's just it. That's what's going to happen. And, and it's going to work out then. And that's not always the case. So I just thought that bringing Jungian psychology, looking at love at first sight as how is this really part of the individuation journey for some people, maybe people that are more intuitive, maybe people that are uh, just more in touch with that interior space inside of themselves. There can almost be that recognition of the 
other that lives within outside of oneself. But that doesn't mean, even though that can be an incredibly profound experience, it doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be this most perfect love story, you know, that exists throughout the rest of your lives. You can always find meaning in anything that you've gone through, and you've got to balance that with keeping your feet on the ground and making sure that you honor yourself, the self that you know yourself to be, the self that you are becoming, and the self of the other as well. Final thing I want to say, just a quote from Jung to leave us with to, to really amplify this idea is... He says, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. So how often do we really have these, these words as part of our vocabulary, as romantics, uh, when it comes to love, love stories? There's something he's saying without talking about love or romance or anything like that in that for us to, to really reflect upon, which is if we believe there's an encounter that's faded, then how is that maybe being directed by or derived from our own unconscious? And if so, we know that that is an invitation for us to become more whole, for us to go through that incredible, arduous task of becoming a self. And I believe that when we get too one-sided in being a romantic and we say, oh, it's all light and love and beauty and you know happiness and bliss and forever after, then we are really not set up for the other side uh, when it doesn't turn out that way or when the person really lets us down. So let's say when the person doesn't live up to who we've projected onto them and who we've we've really hoped that they are. However, Jung tells us and shows us through this anima and animus or this interior companion that regardless of what actually happens on the outside, it's an opportunity for us to come to know ourselves more deeply, more fully, and more wholly. All right. Well, I will see you in the next episode of this series on Love at First Sight. Until then. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you're interested in learning about ways to work with me, head over to my website, themoderndayromantic.com. From there, you'll be able to contact me and learn a bit more about the customized intensives and retreats I offer both individuals and couples. You'll also be able to support future podcast production via Patreon. There are several membership levels to choose from, including the Beating Hearts Club, which gives you access to exclusive content every month. Thanks so much for your support, and I'll see you next episode.